The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hi, Miller and Condon into the 11 o'clock hour. Thanks for being with us. We take you up until, well, top of the hour on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. At about 11.35, uh, Chris Connolly from the Iowa Vent Center. We'll uh, get the latest from Chris Connolly is how they're handling things there as far as scheduling. Do they get out a pencil and pun schedule events with the Wild and the Wolves and concerts and everything else that goes on there? The Globetrotters when they come to town. The Globies. When did you, did you see the Globetrotters as a kid? I did at the Unidome. Good job. It would have been probably 87, 88, mm-hmm. right in that range, something like that. Were you, as a little kid, I mean... Mesmerized. You really were. Yeah. Did you did you not sleep the night before knowing you were going to the? To it, the it was one of the most exciting event. trips that no I took kidding. with my dad. Yeah, and watching them on Wide World of Sports. Oh, that was that was unreal. Oh, it's a Globetrotters well, day. You know how big that's going to be, and, and it's just so much fun. And mm-hmm. they threw uh, you know the bucket of water that they throw and, on some. And of the they've fans. done it since the. I don't know. When did they form? 60s? Yeah, I think yep. they started on Wide World of Sports, and they're still doing the same old gigs. It's just different guys in those uniforms doing the... Went years ago uh, here in town, probably eight, nine years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. My wife took me uh, for my birthday one year because it was in <laughs> April. And uh, yeah, so we, we went to that, and it was still fun. It, seeing the kids, seeing the excitement yep. that comes up, it, it's... Completely different. Yeah, we took the kids to the Nap Center. I don't oh, know, yeah. 2000, somewhere around there. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, with her daily press conference. Good morning. Testing and case investigation are two of the most important things that we can do to effectively manage virus activity in the state of Iowa. Through testing, we're able to identify and isolate positive cases as well as help Iowans recover. Uh, we're able to conduct case investigations to trace contacts and determine the scope of the virus in communities across Iowa, and also deploy mitigation strategies with precision to quickly contain and manage virus activity, which is key uh, to our efforts to responsibly balance the health and livelihood of Iowans in our state's economy. And I am really proud of the efforts being made to ensure that testing is available for Iowans when and where they need it. We've provided testing supplies for surveillance testing of residents and staff at our long-term care facilities across the state that requested it. And we provided tests and assistance for community-based testing initiatives. We've deployed strike teams to conduct targeted surveillance testing in communities where virus activity is increasing with the goal of getting in front of a potential outbreak and again, working to contain it. Today, a long-term care strike team is in Bremer County conducting diagnostic and serology testing for up to 1,100 employees of long-term care facilities in the area. Through Test Iowa, we've now made it possible for any Iowan to be tested at drive-through sites located across the state. We're actually up and running in 10 uh, areas at this time. Nearly 15,000 Iowans have now been tested at a Test Iowa site. Yesterday alone, 2,258 Iowans were tested, which is a new daily record. As of 8.30 this morning, more than 2,700 appointments were already scheduled for today. 
At some test sites yesterday, severe weather made it necessary to temporarily close. So if you were scheduled to test yesterday but unable to make it to your appointment, just bring your QR code to the site at your convenience and you will be tested. By expanding testing for Iowans, we're also expanding what we know about the virus in Iowa. We're able to track data in real time and monitor trends over time so that we can see changes in virus activity as they're occurring, understand why, and determine the best course of action to get back on track with customized solutions. And also track areas of the state that would, be, that would benefit um, from increased access to, to testing. To date, more than 139,000 Iowans, excuse me, have been tested for COVID-19 for a per capita rate of one in 23 Iowans and about 4.4% of our total population. In the month of May alone, more than 88,000 Iowans have been tested, which equates to about 2.8% of our population. And the CDC um, has asked us to put together a test plan with the goal of planning to test at least 2% of our population population each month, so we should have the capacity to be able to do that. This week, Test Iowa is opening up four new sites to provide testing in areas where access is needed. Today in Sioux Center, tomorrow in Marshalltown, and Friday in Council Bluffs. Also opening today is a unique Test Iowa site, our first in partnership with a regional health system. The site is in West Burlington, and it is a collaboration between the state of Iowa and the Great River Health to serve the people and communities of Southeast Iowa. So today I've asked Matt Wenzel, who's the president and CEO of Great River Health, to join me and share why bringing Test Iowa to West Burlington was so important to better meet the health care needs of the region. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us Hello. today, and I appreciate the partnership. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, uh, Governor. Um, at the onset of this uh, global pandemic is, is we established our mission here at Great River Health. And that was and continues to be to this day is, is to uh, protect our patients and employees and provide fact-based information to our community. And our mantra during this time continues to be is, is uh, to remain calm, deal in facts, know the plan, and execute upon the plan. And what you've allowed us to do um, is, is to get tests in the hands of clinicians to save lives. At the beginning of this is, is we established a drive-through site but couldn't uh, get it up and running because we didn't have the test. And we were reaching out to people. And fortunately, is, is uh, I was able to get connected uh, with Senator uh, Tom Green. And uh, Senator Green, uh, as we both know, very diligent. Uh, and uh, uh, through his diligence, is, is got us in touch uh, with Paige Thorson who has just been amazing. Uh, so uh, you've got a great uh, staff with you. And uh, she took a chance on us. And we pitched this idea of saying, hey, let's work, uh, work together through a public-private partnership uh, because we've got the drive-through. We just need tests. Yeah. And so uh, she took that on uh, and ran with it. And uh, what should have been months is days uh, to get tests in the hands of the clinician. So I want to thank Tom Green, Senator Green. I want to thank Paige Thorson. And I want to thank you uh, for having the vision uh, to test Iowans to save lives and for us to be able to be a small part of creating a model in Southeast Iowa and then having that uh, go across the state. Uh, lastly is, is um, my comment about it should have taken months um, uh, and it took days was because of Paige and your uh, team and also is, is uh, team members here at Great River Health 
that uh, took this on and just ran with it. And so there's so many people I'd like to thank, but I just don't have the time because I suspect you'd cut me off after about <laughs> 10 minutes. So um, with further ado, I'm going to turn it back to you. And thank you for helping us save lives in southeast Iowa and across Iowa, Governor. Oh, thanks, Matt. I am so grateful to you and the opportunity that the opportunity is available to serve this area. It really fits very well with our Test Iowa sites for individuals that are going on to a Test Iowa, taking the assessment and wanting the opportunity to be tested, to be able to set up these clinic sites in other areas where we don't have the drive-through test-up sites is critical. And you have have been reaching out and been uh, asking for the opportunity to do this, so I really appreciate it. And you're right, I have an incredible team uh, that's working hard every single day um, to, to really help facilitate the requests that we're getting from uh, partners across the state. So uh, shout out to my team, uh, as always, the Department of Public Health, and to the private sector for stepping up and providing these opportunities to Iowans in, the, in their area. And this is something that we can replicate across the state. So um, I think I, I'm guessing Paige is going to be just a little bit more busier now once uh, we see what the what we can do uh, and, and really we're working on this this is something we can replicate across the state so thanks for being a part of that and showing others in the in the state of Iowa what, what we can do so just a reminder though for Iowans that are living in or near Sioux County Marshall Pot Potawatomi uh, where the where the other new test Iowa sites are opening up this week in order to be tested you first have to take the assessment at the test Iowa at testiowa.com to schedule an appointment. Since opening, uh, opening the test criteria up to any Iowan who wants to be tested, appointments are filling up fast at all of our Test Iowa locations, and that's reflective of the numbers that I talked about earlier. So if you aren't able to immediately schedule an appointment at the site nearest you, uh, please be patient. You'll receive an email when more appointments are open in your area. So we're continuing to monitor that. We're trying to uh, open up additional slots, but if you can't get in, be patient. We'll get an email to you and let you know when some more um, opportunities open up. Access to testing in communities across the state, again, is critical to ensure Iowans have the opportunity to be tested uh, if and when they need it. While it isn't possible to open a test Iowa site or send strike teams to every county, it is possible, again, to partner in unique ways by leveraging state, county, and local resources to serve the needs of surrounding communities. And Wright County is a great example of how this can work really well. Sandy McGrath is a registered nurse with Wright County Public Health, an epidemiologist, and she just also happens to be the mayor of Eagle Grove. So multitasker there, Sandy. Uh, <laughs> she's been working uh, collaboratively with their local hospitals to provide support and assistance to surrounding health care providers and businesses during this pandemic. And I've talked uh, frequently with Sandy, and I've asked Sandy to join me today to talk about the things that she's done to increase COVID-19 awareness and testing in the communities that she serves and uh, really the partnerships that have been made possible. So uh, it's good to see you, Sandy. Thanks for joining uh, today. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to really update Iowans on the good work that you're doing in Wright County. Good morning, and thank you for allowing me to speak this morning. I want to start out with thanking our Wright County Board of Health, um, our Wright County Board of Supervisors when, for gearing up in December and monitoring the movement of COVID. So our Board of Health has been more than supportive along with the supervisors in um, starting our partnership. 
Iowa Specialty Hospitals and Dr. Smith are key partners coming together as a team in our community so we can share resources, messaging, testing in Wright County uh, in response to COVID. Dr. McLaughlin and Dr. Brendel have been excellent advisors and partners and we, we could not have accomplished what we've accomplished so far without all of our assistance and teamwork. Back in February, uh, the Wright County Health Department, along with the Board of Health, Board of Supervisors, Emergency Managers, and Iowa Specialty met, recognized that there was a concern. We discussed resources, responses, and prevention. We started communication and teamwork as to, <coughs> excuse me, which helped us be successful in our testing and contact tracing early on. We felt that that was important and a vital role in slowing the spread. We opened up our emergency operations center in preparation for COVID-19. We then added our city administrators, law enforcement, and EMS. During that time, we reviewed our resources, <coughs> excuse me, and what facts we had and focused on prevention. This includes types of businesses, community partners, care centers, and vulnerable populations. We started to identify any vulnerability, which would include dense population, areas of congregate living, areas of working with limited ability to alter practices, areas of gathering in community and organizations for meals, to change shift, entrance, exit points, spending areas, geographic, areas of widespread known or suspected COVID, populations with heavy commuter traffic or association with widespread COVID community, family contacts or significant others that are working in an area of known concern, language barriers and culture differences in ride shares. With that, we then reached out to large employers um, and engaged them in uh, reviewing their, their operations for vulnerabilities. With, with that education starting early and the partnerships and working well with our industries, uh, Prestige would have to be our poster child. Back at the end of March, they reached out because they identified a vulnerability um, during their screening process for em employees. Uh, the, that identi that um, identification then um, created a um, an importance to start testing. At that time, there was some limited supply and testing. Um, Iowa Department of Public Health, uh, Governor Reynolds, and Center for Acute Disease Investigation were very helpful in getting us the supplies to start testing. Our community with the assistance, our public health with the assistance of Iowa especially was able to test 900 employees within two days. Um, Prestige is a very community-oriented business their employees were very cooperative and also um, supportive of control measures. This was a success story as it kept that operation going at the time. We then moved on to and continued to, to do surveillance and work with, um, with other businesses. With the addition and the ability to get test supplies, we have completed all of our nursing homes uh, employee testing, as that would be a vulnerability since the nursing homes are doing an excellent job at keeping our loved ones safe. Um, the vulnerable portion there would be the employees moving out. So we have assisted, we've done, completed our local nursing homes and have reached out to our surrounding counties 
um, and other counties to assist them, whether it be because they had a concern or a potential concern, or they just needed that routine surveillance. Our hopes is to keep that that keep that maintained, um, get everybody to a comfortable point where they, that routine surveillance can be ongoing until we find a better solution to what our response is to COVID. Um, we, Iowa Specialty has been a great partner since they also have a rapid response team that is similar. We partner up, we split up, we, we go where we need to and where we need to be asked. We are part of a service area region that is also more than supportive on adding team members if needed. Currently, you're seeing numbers um, increase in Wright County. We continue to do that surveillance. Like if, if I don't kick the rocks um, to avoid a landslide, with that's not being proactive so i'm out there testing watching for those vulnerabilities sometimes it's not the best thing when we start seeing the numbers go up that just means that we're paying attention we've got the testing supplies and we'll continue to do that so as um what can we what can we summarize this with what is happening we have COVID 19 it's droplet circulated in our communities we need to recognize that what can we do to move forward? We need to continue to test. We need to do con to surveillance. We appreciate having that availability and for the testing supplies. We as citizens need to follow our droplet precautions using our face covering, hand washing, social distancing, and avoiding risky be behavior. We may all feel very strong um, and be able to get past COVID, but to this date, I haven't been able to find my expiration date or whether I have any risk of, of surviving it. So let's, for the future, continue to do our, our prevention, continue to test, do that surveillance, and move forward as we find our new norm. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Andy. I just really appreciate you taking the time. I know you are incredibly busy. I believe you had a tornado touchdown yesterday. Uh, is that right? In the midst of all of this at Eagle Grove. So I just appreciate the proactive measures that you've put in place, as you said, resource, response, and prevention, working collectively with the public health, the Board of Supervisors, and your business partners, and of course, Iowa Specialty Healthcare. Uh, you have been a role model from the very beginning, and so I appreciate all that you're, you and your team are doing and we look forward to continuing to partner with you as we move forward so keep up the great work and again thanks for taking the time to really talk to Iowans and let them know what you're doing what we can do at the county level in partnership with the uh, local and state so thanks again have a great day keep up the great work yes, all right thank you so in closing today, I want to also take uh, a moment to thank Hy-Vee and Fairway stores across Iowa for again working with our team and the Department of Public Health to distribute over 100,000 cloth face masks in their stores for customers who may not have one. The masks were generously produced and donated by Haynes through FEMA to the state of Iowa. So the cotton defender masks are um, machine washable so that Iowans can reuse the mask for daily activities if they choose. Um, Hy-Vee stores began distributing the mask yesterday, I believe, and Fairway will begin distribution uh, through their stores today. So masks will be provided to customers on a first-come, first-served basis while the supplies last, but they are doing that. They started yesterday and today. So with that, we will open it up for questions. Governor, is there an outbreak at a food production facility in Storm Lake, given the 
excessive spike in cases in Buena Vista County? So I don't know. We have not confirmed that yet, but again, what I said earlier, Kay, is with, with us, with our ability to track virus activity on a daily basis, that really does kind of give us the information we need to know where we potentially see a hot spot or a potential spike. And if we can, that's when we move the testing into that area start to, to start to really identify the scope of uh, the virus activity, where it is maybe stemming from, and how we can proactively get in front of it. So at this point, they have not um, met the criteria, but you know we're we're testing to make sure that we understand what the scope of that is and how we can start to isolate those that are testing positive, immediately start the case investigation so that we can get the negative uh, individuals separated, look at how we um, separate the shifts and how we continue to move forward to m minimize as much as possible the effect of a potential spike. When do the residents of Storm Lake who don't work at the facility get to know that there's an outbreak? Well, you want to talk about that? The Department of Public Health will confirm an outbreak when we've identified at least 10% of the employees at a particular location, in particular types of locations like congregate settings um, where uh, social distancing is not possible at work. Um, so once we have identified 10% of their employees have tested positive, that's the determination that Dr. Padati has made in terms of when it's time to announce that there's been an outbreak at a facility like that. Yeah, but when do you announce it? Yesterday, yesterday we learned that the outbreak that you identified for me yesterday was known on the 11th of May. Yeah, so we've been we've been announcing them at these press conferences as the questions have been asked. So, and the local um, local public health is also working with the community, so that would be an opportunity also for the community residents to understand uh, the scope of the virus. So again, this is a partnership that's taking place, uh, not only from the state, but the county, right down to the local uh, governments. And as you heard Sandy talk about, they're very engaged at a community level to make sure that they're doing everything that they can to contain and mitigate and manage the spread of the virus. So it's a little bit different than the long-term care facilities where you, you know, that the close proximity of living, the ability to isolate, to make sure that we're addressing the situation. But as questions arise, um, we've been able to address those at the press conferences. is we need to make sure that Test Iowa is not the only testing option. We have a whole host of options. It's another tool in the toolbox. So friends, family, see if they can help uh, get them to a facility. They also have the option to be tested through clinics and hospitals. Our FQHCs have been tremendous partners across the state in providing testing opportunities. Uh, I talked to, uh, after we got the question uh, at one of the other press conferences, I had a supervisor uh, Bramley from Monona County call and just make me aware of the fact that the Siouxland Regional Transit Service, which she sets on the board as a board of supervisor, uh, they still provide, they're still right, running rides for individuals that have needs. So maybe again, check with your local public health, check with your board of supervisors to see what's available. So, you know, and also we had Suresh from the University of 
Iowa University of Iowa Hospital the other day talk about what their efforts to get home test kits uh, to uh, individuals that were at that had to be at home. So there's not again there's just not one option that's available to Iowans. We have to look at the host of um, options that we have: state hygienic lab, uh, the Abbott test. So so let's look at it in the context of what's available and figure out a way to provide a solution for individuals instead of just focusing on just one element of what we provide for, for Iowans. Governor, when do you project test Iowa meeting that threshold of 3,000 tests per day? Obviously, we keep creeping up, but when... Well, I think we're doing pretty that? close. I think we've uh, had over 88,000 Iowans that have been tested uh, in the month of May. Uh, we've hit capacity for the last three days in Polk County. I think, uh, what did I say in my remarks? We hit another high scheduled today, so we're there. I think the other day I said that the um, the state hygienic lab, well, we were just 93 short of meeting the capacity of 5,000. So as we continue to build out the testing um, options, as well as really um, continuing to continuing our process improvement, we, we're actually there. Um, so we have the capacity, and we're continuing to see Iowans use it. And uh, I think you know we're, we are there basically, and we'll be there, continue to be there, have the opportunity to be there moving forward. Governor, is it or Sarah, maybe perhaps, is it feasible to do large-scale serology testing in the same way that Test Iowa is being done? Is that something that's being considered? Is it it's possible? harder, but you know, I mean, we've done it at our facilities. Right. So the, so the governor just mentioned we have done um, serology testing at some of our larger surveillance testing uh, sites. I think that right now we're working with the lab to validate a serology test that might not um, require as extensive of a blood draw. It might be a finger prick a test, which would make um, the ability to make serology more widely available a little bit easier in terms of staffing because um, we wouldn't necessarily need phlebotomists to be able to do all those blood draws. So we're working continually to make additional testing methods available. And our hope is that um, a new type of serology test with that would um, involve a finger prick as opposed to a blood draw um, might be available to us sometime soon. Yeah. I mean, just every day we're learning new types. They're looking at a saliva test right now. We've got uh, companies that are working on that. So this is going to continue to be a fluid situation and it's going to continue to evolve. And we're going to continue to be able to provide additional resources to individuals who might have a hard time getting to a test Iowa site. So every day we're learning more and they're um, bringing out, uh, providing additional ways that we can test for COVID-19. And that's encouraging. That's a positive thing. We're going to go to channel five on the phone. Hi, good morning, Governor. Um, the White House recommended governors ensure all nursing home residents and staff get tested for the coronavirus in the next two weeks. Um, that deadline did pass on Monday. Did Iowa yeah. meet those recommendations? Well, I think it was a recommendation. And, and we secondly, will... Sorry, I didn't know you were done. Oh, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and secondly, uh, will the state consider reporting outbreaks at senior living facilities, um, especially those that have dementia units? I'll let you take that one. Um, so, you know, we I had indicated we had started early on doing surveillance testing with our long-term care facilities and made those available. We actually called most of the facilities, especially the ones that were on the watch list, to let them know that we had the testing available. There were multiple ways in which we could help them facilitate that. So we've got a fairly good start to that process. We sent another email out, uh, Ken, with the Department of Public Health, sent an email yesterday to all of our long-term care facilities so that we can understand 
understand uh, how many have already tested, not only through us, but some of them can do it uh, through other means, through their own facilities, so that we have some sense of what that baseline looks like and then how we can move forward in, in, in really getting a complete baseline of our long-term care facilities and then continuing to monitor that moving forward. So we've, we've got a good start on the process. We have the capacity to do the testing. Uh, we just need to know what has been done, where the gaps are at, and then we'll put a plan together to address that. And I've asked that that be done sooner rather than later. So uh, we're, we've got people working on that round the clock to make sure that we can get that baseline done so that we can continue to do everything we can uh, to provide our long-term care residents and, and, and those um, individuals, uh, the nursing, the um, health care prof providers who are taking care of our um, residents. Do you want to talk about that? I forget the second question. Yeah, so I think the question was about announcing outbreaks at other uh, sorts of facilities, like assisted living facilities. Um, right now, we announce outbreaks at long-term care facilities when we have at least three residents who have tested positive for the coronavirus. And at this point in time, we don't have um, existing plans to change how we're doing that reporting. All right, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds here, uh, Daily Press Conference. We'll get back to sports. Chris Conley from the Iowa Event Center will join Trent and I after this timeout. Take you up towards noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.0. Their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Let's get right to Chris Connolly. He's the general manager of the Iowa Event Center. Uh, lots of questions for Chris, and I'm uh, glad that he joins us. Uh, Chris, uh, Trent and Ken, thanks for coming on. How you been, Chris Connolly? Guys, good morning. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I think just like everybody else, just uh, trying to stay positive and really taking things one day at a time. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, I, I know that's a cliche, but in this case, I think it fits. We'll get into, you know, some of those things and how difficult it must be for you in a second. We have to ask a question that somebody asked Trent and I, oh, some point last week, and we didn't know the answer, but promised we would ask you when we had you on next. And here you are. And it was pursuant to uh, sites that were going to host the 2020 NCAA men's basketball team, only to have, obviously, the event canceled. Chris, do you know what the NCAA is going to do? Will they get them back on the schedule? Probably not next year, because those sites are already spending money. But will, yep. they, get, will they get their um, their opportunity back sooner rather than normally would have happened? How does that work? Do you know? You know, Ken, it's a great question. We're knee-deep in this thing, and we actually, as a local organizing committee, so it's the Iowa Event Center, it's the Convention and Visitors Bureau, Drake University, and when all this went down, that exact question, we asked the NCA how this would work, would it shift anything? You know, as you guys know, um, I, I, early February, we submitted our bid um, for men's basketball, first and second round, next bid cycle, which is 2023 through 26. And the way that works is you submit in early February, and then we find out we will find out sometime uh, October, late October, early November, uh, if we were awarded a date in that cycle. And we asked the NCAA that same question, and they told us that will not affect our cycle 
they will still make the announcements in the fall, and they couldn't answer our question about those sites that lost out. Now, the one thing that was brought up, too, I, I would you would think, and I'd have to do my research and go back and look, but a lot of those same sites are usually in the regular rotation, and I'm almost certain that most of them probably put a bid in for the next four-year cycle. Um, but we were told that, you know, this year, um, your 2020-2021 season, those sites that have been selected, they're moving forward with those, and we just haven't been told what's going to happen to those sites that actually lost out this past year. Uh, just real quick, I mean, breaking news, Des Moines Public Schools will play baseball and softball uh, this summer, according Great. to Tommy Birch from the Register. Go ahead, Trent. All right, with that, uh, as we look to the future, you guys will find out about the men's basketball tournament wrestling. I know we've had the conversation in the past, Chris, the building. You know, they were going to have it up at U.S. Bank uh, this past season, yep. the way it was going to be. Any possibility of the future for NCAA wrestling coming back to Des Moines? And how about the women's tournament? You had such a great turnout for that Sweet 16 Elite Eight run. Uh, Baylor, I think, was there. Maybe Tennessee, if my memory serves. A great number there. Yep. How about the future on the women's side? Yeah, I think first I'd start with wrestling. And, and Trent, to be honest with you, we just don't see it. Um, the way things are trending, and, you know, we hosted the tournament, uh, we barely met the minimum capacity, barely over 16,000 for a wrestling championship. And obviously we packed the place. The atmosphere was incredible. And what happens is you have so many different schools in. It came down to sort of an issue with tickets and holds that were going to um, the different schools that were, that were participating. And wrestling's exploded since we've hosted. It really has. And the NTA, it was tough on them because they talked to us early on about some scenarios that in a certain cycle – they could stretch their legs a bit to a degree with going to the stadium up in Minnesota and then essentially maybe having a Des Moines in the mix in that in those four years. But I just don't see it. It's been so popular. Even the professional buildings in St. Louis and, and Philadelphia, New York, you name it, they're all selling out, guys. And, you know, they're minimum 20, 21,000 where we get 16, maybe 17 if we get creative for NCAA wrestling. So I don't see that happening unless things change, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but thank goodness we had at least, you know, one shot at it. I think we did a good job. As far as women's go, you know, you never say never. And I think that, you know, the regional final that we hosted, you're right. We had Tennessee and Baylor, and they faced, they faced each other in the regional final. And it was actually Pat Summit's last time on the sideline, and that Baylor team, I think, went undefeated. So that was incredible for us, and attendance was real good. It starts to get into a scheduling issue, though, with us guys. And, you know, now that we've been successful in getting men's basketball, that's kind of been our target. Um, we feel like we should be in that regular rotation, and we feel like we will. With that being said, I'll tell you guys, when NCAA men's basketball comes in the building in March, we essentially, the, the teams that play in our building, they aren't able to play for three of the four weeks of that month due to state tournaments and then March Madness. So very, very tricky on our end and not great for our teams because, you know, March is the closing stretch for basketball and hockey, and uh, that's difficult because they're on the road. So we right now we made a strategic decision that we're going to go after basketball. We feel very, very confident that we'll get one of those four years, and we feel like if we started going after women's basketball, then you're looking at more than one in a four-year cycle. That really hurts our tenant teams, and we just don't want to do that. 
Chris Conley from the uh, Iowa Event Center uh, joining us. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Chris, i got to ask you about, um, well, we'll use the Iowa Wild. I heard Gary Bettman on, uh, I heard the snippet. I didn't hear the whole thing. He was on radio in Toronto yesterday after the NHL unveiled their plan, and he was asked because the rumor out there is the NHL may not start until January 1st, and that would be, you know, the Winter Classic would would start the season, the 2000. um, I guess they would they call it twenty one twenty two if it's January first remains to be seen or twenty twenty one. But regardless of that, if the NHL isn't playing till January first, find it hard to believe the AHL was. If that's a, a, a schedule where they you know they try and squeeze in more games than they normally do, you just mentioned those three weeks that you can't host any events. How difficult yep. is it going to be for you to air quote save those dates on sure. the big calendar that's in front of you? Ken, what I can tell you is this, and specifically with the Iowa Wild and the American Hockey League, we went through our normal scenarios in terms of scheduling to this point in that um, early in the year we submitted our available dates to the league for next season, assuming that they're starting on time. So you're right. If the NHL if the NHL actually fits in the remaining part of their season, they have playoffs, they run way later, there could be a delay in the start of our season. With that, uh, we've already sat down with Todd Fredrickson, um, president of the Iowa Wild, and there's some scenarios there where we took a look at the rest of the month of April, so the second half of April through the month of May in terms of available dates that we've submitted to the wild as a contingency. So we're very well aware the season could start late, but also can that falls into a pretty good spot for us. When you get into that second half of April, May, and then even June, you know, that's when things start winding down. I mean, usually the regular season for basketball uh, with a G League team, the Iowa um, Wolves, that ends at the end of March. Uh, hockey usually goes until the middle of April. So as we get clear of the regular seasons, you know, our April, May, June, it's a little more sporadic and we have more dates. So in theory, if they push their season back, you know, that's when we're kind of hanging on and holding dates anyway for potential playoff matchups for the Wild and the Wolves. We have flexibility. If they move everything back, we have the ability to do that. And like I said, with the Wild, we've already started looking at some of those dates and a contingency if they do start late. So we know it's a possibility. We're prepared for it. I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, if they do start late, which obviously looks like a really good possibility based on everything that's going on, and it's positive if the NHL finishes the season, you know, as long as we can get the full season in, even if it starts a month or two later, we're all in. We'll make it work. We've been flexible. And we've also started having some of those conversations with the Wolves, too, because mm-hmm. it looks like the NBA is going to kind of make a run at, at finishing off their season in the playoffs as well. Talking with Chris Connolly from the Iowa Event Center. Chris, of course, concerts always another big part of the Iowa Event Center and Wells Fargo Arena. Postponements, cancellations, it's all over the board right now. In the interim, as you guys look for the lead up and, and building up, What's the viability of a concert that you normally anticipate would sell out? You have to do it at reduced capacity. Tell us a little more about the concert side of things. Yeah, I think, you know, right now, Trent, we just don't know. Um, We just got some good news from the governor yesterday in terms of, you know, we can start hosting events here and mainly, you know, on the convention center side is what we're looking at. Uh, 50% of capacity um, while maintaining social distancing, your six foot uh, separation. So we're starting to look at things already, which is great for the Iowa Event Center and activity here for us. 
you know, we're looking at some things and some clients that are still on our books at the end of June, July, August, where they were just kind of hanging out there and they didn't know what would happen. So we're definitely going through processes where we're able to host events, be able to social distance, and be able to handle that at a reduced capacity. When you start talking about the teams and concerts, as far as the teams go, you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, you could probably do that. If you're looking at a wild game on a Tuesday night or a Wolves game on a weeknight, can you make it work? Yeah, I think you can. Uh, it's a little trickier, though, when you start talking about the weekend dates because the wild and wolves on their promotional nights or their big nights on the weekends, they're looking at five to 7,000 people. And when you truly do the six foot of separation in the seating area, it's difficult to make that happen. So we'd have to work through it. As far as concerts go, it's going to be very difficult. The example I'd give you is Elton John. Elton John comes in, we've sold him out, 13,000 people. And for us, our capacity, if we do it properly with social distancing, you're looking at about 34 or 3,500 people in. That's not going to work. We wouldn't be able to pay the artist what they're due. And I think what we're seeing, Trent, for the most part, is that a lot of these artists are taking a look at um, 2021. They're hoping we're clear of this thing, something comes up, and we can function close to what normal was. There's a distinct possibility that that doesn't happen for a while, and that's why I think it's going to take a little bit longer for touring to come back. So, you know, so we'll see, but we're game. We put together game, we put together floor plans to be able to host an event while practicing social distancing. We know for sure some of our smaller end events, PBR is doing it. We have a PBR event scheduled in September, and we're hopeful to get it in. You know, we don't know if we'll get it in, but they are doing some of those things in other markets. So I think with some of the events, we can certainly try, and we certainly have plans to do that. With some of the bigger concerts, I think most of them have been pushed off to a later date, and I think that's wise right now. Uh, Chris, last thing I, I saw from, uh, we'll use the, the PBR event in September. Uh, I know Prairie Meadows, when they open up here sometime in the middle of June, they're going to take every customer that comes through their, their turnstiles. They'll take their temperature, apparently. At least that's on the drawing board right now. Uh, do yep. you guys have sim- similar plans to do that uh, uh, at Wells Fargo Arena and at the event center? Ken, I think right now we're focused on uh, our company, Spectre, our corporate folks, put together a very extensive reopening playbook. We just received that about two weeks ago. Got that great resource. We've actually taken it, formed our own local reopening committee, which is our internal staff, um, with the Convention and Visitors Bureau and our attached uh, Hilton Hotel as part of that committee. And we're going through a lot of those processes right now. And I think one thing that we know for sure is, is that staff and vendors and people that are coming in from the outside into the building, and I'm mostly talking about our part-time staff, subcontractors, vendors, those types of people, we are putting plans together to take their temperature coming into the facility. As far as patrons coming in, we have not gotten to that level yet. I'm not sure that we will. But, I mean, as you guys have seen, anything's on the table right now. We're looking at all options. Chris, very informative. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Best of luck to you, Chris Connolly. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you. Chris Connolly, General Manager of the Iowa Event Center. We'll take our final time out, come back and wrap up a Wednesday Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 10.org. All right, Miller and Condon, welcome back. Final couple of minutes. Good piece with Chris Connolly from the Iowa Event Center. Very informative. Thank Chris for uh, coming on. Uh, Trent, final couple of minutes during the Chris Connolly piece. We saw that uh, Des Moines 
public schools made their announcement they will play baseball and softball this summer. Mm-hmm. Seems like that kind of um, not came out of nowhere, but I would have thought I would have bet many they, they weren't. Yeah, it felt like for the longest time that's what it was trending. Even after we found out the news last week, the baseball and softball were coming back here in the state of Iowa. It felt like that way, but really good to to hear some of the. The conversations that were had and the listening on both sides of it and what's happened. One of my biggest takeaways, though, is that uh, part of this, of course, you have the recommendations and the standards that were handed down yesterday from the state for all the teams playing, but all spectators going to a Des Moines public game and played at one of their stadiums, face masks will be required. So that is uh, one of the biggest takeaways, one of the changes that we see from the other one, social distancing. That'll be happening everywhere, but great news for those kids having ability to play their summer season and be able to play the baseball and softball. No doubt about that. So you'll be June the 18th. You'll be at Roosevelt. July yeah. 1st, you've got Roosevelt at Lincoln. So those dates that you had with the city schools, you're not going to have to find a uh, an alternative game. You're not going to have to flex out of them because right. they'll be uh, on the schedule. Bob Bowlesby just spoke to Chris Hassel on Chris Hassel's CBS Sports HQ piece. Uh, here's here's one of the quotes, one of the takeaways from Bowlesby's conversation with the Iowan Chris Hassel. Uh, Bob Bowlesby, quote, absent a virus vaccine, we're going to have some difficulties during the course of the year, period. I fully expect we will have some disruptions, end quote. Fully anticipate. Fully expects there'll be some disruptions during you- basketball, during football. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just initially thinking of that football only side of things. Well, but- I said during, a sc- during the course of the year. Yeah. Hmm. I guess I can buy that a little bit more, but when you put it that way and put it that direction, and that remains one of the great unknowns, though we've heard more and more, you know, if somebody on a team gets COVID-19, that doesn't mean that the team is done. No, not necessarily, but basketball makes it a little trickier. Well, and if it becomes widespread, and it's not just a player or two, it's seven or eight, how different that's going Mm -hmm. to be and what that's going to mean, and the travel you want a team that has half the team that all of a sudden has been stricken with this coming into your state, coming into your venue, and how they're going to get there? This was a, I think we talked about it briefly, but something that that my that charter company that folded up shop is at Miami Air. It's something that like it that. Yeah. yeah, the charters all the teams and they do a bunch of bowl trips as well. They they went belly up, so that that's how the. That's how most of the teams flew if they don't have you know their own plane, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly the football team would have to take one of those charters. But uh, there's gonna be a lot of bus trips. No, oh, absolutely, and those ones that you normally for, I mean for Iowa State, does that mean Kansas and Kansas State? Those are gonna be bus trips oh, for, for them for sure. I mean I'm not even sure are they Oklahoma, they might Oklahoma be, State. Well, that's yes, I think if Miami Air's gone. Certainly the football team. I mean I think the I think the Iowa State plane. And I don't know if there's an Iowa plane or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they carry the basketball teams to and from. It's private. But I don't well, – obviously, the football doesn't have that uh, luxury. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, Bob Bullsby, uh, he fully expects there will be some disruptions. Uncharted territory, to say the least. All right. Uh, thank you to Cappy. Thank you to Centurion Stone of Iowa for making Cappy a possible. He was a part of the program early this morning. Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports and then uh, Chris Conley from the Iowa Events Center. Um, as we wrap things up, Vegas opens a week from not this weekend, next weekend. So June 4th, I think June I saw. June 4th, yes. Some of the properties 
opening up the Flamingo, one of my favorites. It's the Flamingo opening? That's June 4th. I, I like the Flamingo, too. All right, uh, Murph and Addy slide in at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And then Miller and Condon back tomorrow with 10. Thanks for being here. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.